What's happening, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Unparalleled Football with Joe's Kwame Fisher Jones. And I'm joined by my man Everett Terry Jr., aka Sports Talk Terry. Hey, what's going on, man? Happy to be here. Snowy day today. Is it snowy by you? Yeah, man. We're supposed to be getting snow. Oh, wow. I, I feel you, man. It's like uh, 50 some degrees out here and it's uh, a little cloudy. So oh, I, just, I, just, just rubbing your 50 degree weather in the middle of January. Thank you. You know, it's it's funny when I talk to people back home, man, and they got friends that live in Cali, Arizona. They always say that we send them pictures when we find out it's snowing. I've been here long enough. I'm at the point now where I don't even know when it's snowing by, back home anymore. I talked to my mother. She didn't even mention it this morning. So that's, you know. But look, if you've been in Jersey, you stay in Jersey, it's no big deal. I can't handle the snow right now. I, my body can't handle it anymore. Just the thought of it makes my nose run. Just the thought of it. Yeah, I'm not a snow guy, but. Nah, man, what'd you say? All right, so before we, yeah, before we get going into sports, I do a uh, uh, YouTube show with my brother from another. And uh, he pr- proposed the idea and I hopped on it. You know, I love I love this this media thing and I love to talk. So, you know, any opportunity to keep recording, I jumped on it. And we do a lot of random topics, kind of in the sports realm, but other stuff. He likes to get my opinion on stuff. And the topic we discussed last night was Jason Whitlock and Stephen A. Smith. I heard about that. Yeah, I wanted to get your opinion on it. But first, let me give you a little context and tell you where I stood on it to give you a chance to kind of gather your thoughts. Sure. So I, I said that I thought both, were, both, both them brothers were wrong. Um, I have a routinely habitual problem with Stephen A because he refers to people that aren't black as brothers. And I think uh-huh. that's the management and that, that rubbed me the wrong way. But outside of that, I have no issues with Stephen A. I have the utmost respect for what he's accomplished in his career. And I have said this to you many, many times. A lot of people, he was a tremendous writer. There is no denying that he was one of the, he was probably the, Next to Peter Vesey, he was the best sports writer I've ever, ever read. And I enjoyed David Aldridge, Elmer Smith, Phil Jasner. I enjoyed Jason Whitlock, Mitch Album, Dick Schaap. The list goes on and on. And, you know, so I have, a, I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. I also have respect for Jason Whitlock. I don't respect a lot of the things that he does, but I respect a lot of uh, Ralph Wiley. I, I got to add him to the mix too. There's just so many writers. Scoop Jackson, so many brothers that I still talk to. I got to keep, not Ralph Wiley, obviously. But, Scoop. but anyway, I my issue with Jason Whitlock often stems from the things he does outside of just covering sports. While you may not agree with him, and I'm just talking about sports side, he often has a strong opinion just speaking sports. And it's not bad. But his problem is when he gets involved in so many other things. But for me, the way I look at Jason Whitlock is this. There's a lot of things I've gained in the last few years in becoming and in, in, in evolving as a man. And one of the things that I, I cherish is having people in my life who have chosen to love me, who have chosen to be a part of my life, who chosen to be with me through my worst times and who enjoy the best time, my best of times and my success more than I can. And that is infused a, a, a consistent, positive presence in me. Jason Whitlock doesn't have that. So yes, he's miserable. And that misery has manifested itself in gluttony. He overindulges in food. 
which is why he's obese, but he also over, overindulges in negativity and misery. So when you know this going in, it's the equivalent of um, the equivalent of being mad at someone that has a, 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 a disability for not being able to keep up. It's like, you know, being mad at someone who's only got one arm for not able to throw a combination, not able to throw a combo. Like, it's just who they are. You can't change that. So this is why, and I take you there to say, this is why I have an issue with Stephen A. Why do you give a rip what he says? Listen, why he... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me finish. Okay. I'm going to give it to you in a second. I'm going to give it All to right. you in a second. Why does he feel the need to, quote, punch down? There is no reason to hear what Jason Whitlock has to say. Jason Whitlock's career is predicated. He is in the space that we're in. So what's predicated? His financial reward is getting people to click on him, getting mm -hmm. people to mention his name. So by mentioning his name, by, by essentially saying, I'm about a dollar with the F is 50 cents, you have launched him. Now, he won't be able to sustain that stratosphere, but you still launch him. And everyone knows he's fat. Everyone knows he's miserable. Everyone knows he is void of talent material and he is looking for a re he's looking for some sort of lifeline. Why well, give it to him? Floor is yours. Well, it's the old, I'm going to bait you into doing something stupid. And here's what you know. Conflict breeds content, if that makes sense. And here's why I say that. So everybody's heard about the whole Cat Williams on Club Shay Shay and the way he literally went full napalm bomb on the entire industry. I mean, and obliterated every big name comedian, rapper, actor, anybody he could think of in his space that he wanted to name drop. He dropped and dropped with per. Looks like we lost Evan for a second, but even I'll give him a second to come back. But the issue with the cat, yeah, I got you now. I was about to go about to touch a little bit on the Cat Williams, but go ahead. Oh, yeah. So what I was saying was sorry about that. I was saying that the Cat Williams piece of it is that he went full napalm bomb on the entire industry and anybody that was listening, you know, he named drop rappers and, you know, people like Diddy and he, he named drop comedians, Steve Harvey and said all these big name folks that he named dropped. And the one thing that you haven't heard from anybody in full retort since his interview almost two weeks ago is that anybody called him a liar. And you know why? Because the one thing that anybody can't say about Cat Williams is that whatever he can't say, he can't back up. And so with that said, now that he has spoken that truth, I mean, that show is literally pushing 40 million views. That is insane amount of viewership for a three hour podcast, three hours. Listen, we try to keep folks attention for 20, 30 minutes. He did it for three hours and I watched it twice. So I'm telling you, the content was that good to that end. Stephen A looked at it, said, OK, this is a blueprint that works. Was it the bright, brightest thing to do? No. Jason Whitlock's been irrelevant for 10 years. He hasn't been on TV in five. But what it did is because Jason Whitlock kept poking the bear, kept poking the bear, kept poking the bear. He wanted to get his 15 minutes of fame. Stephen A's giving it to him. Stephen A don't need the money, the clicks, or the clout. He's already got it. But if this gives Jason Whitlock five seconds of happiness and keeps him off of Stephen A because Stephen A's now spoken on it, so be it. Do I think that Stephen A took a bit of a low road digging at him and his personal and all of that? Yeah, because Whitlock went personal. And I haven't seen Whitlock's, but I heard about it. You know, he went personal first, so Stephen A went full 
retort and i mean talked about everything from his weight to his size to how he begged him to talk to him after he got bombed out at espn and all the people he embarrassed and i mean it, it was brutal but to that end what it what it also shows is that and i'll be honest with you i haven't seen a lot of Stephen a's uh shows lately just because of the holiday season different things going on but i made sure i ch- I, I clicked in and listened to that one because again conflict breeds content and that's what people like to listen to and so that'll be one of his most watched shows, even though he spent more time talking about Jason Whitlock than he did about the sports stories that he does every day on his own podcast. So that's my only take from it. He milked it. He used it, whatever the case may be. And so, you know, that's what you get. You know, I, before we switch gears into something, I will say this about it. And this is this is what my my biggest issue and you touched on it in relation to him deciding, OK, I'm going to go personal there was no reason for it mm-hmm. a lot of times people are going to a lot of times people say things that kind of take you out of your zone you know they try to take me out of my zone like a point guard with a handle like and you can't in your 20s and 30s you take that bait because you, you got so many things going on you feel like you got to prove yourself mm-hmm. and where Stephen a is in his career it was a waste of time and yeah you you mentioned the views and that's a great point but the thing is, Shannon doesn't have an accomplished career. And quite frankly, the reason why the clicks hit is because Cat Williams is one of the best comedians to ever do it. Like, I and I get the rant and everything. And I look, I'm a Cat Williams fan, like Cat Williams fan to the end. So I am going anything Cat Williams is on. I'm going to watch. Pay attention to. I am not a Steve Harvey fan. I don't dislike Steve Harvey, but I'm not really gonna ride for him. I'm a sex So the people he mentioned from Kevin Hart, Sex Entertainment, Mark Curry, I used to watch Hang Out Mr. Cooper. You know what I mean? All of those comedians, Bernie Mac, all those comedians we watch. So he threw a lot of names out there. So that makes more sense. It just, it just seems like it seems like Stephen A wasted everybody's time. He wasted everybody's time responding to that. And now everyone's got a comment on it because he to a tent to, to a man is the leader of the pack as far as black sports personalities go. So you have to comment on it because if you don't, then you're missing a window to add your little two cents and marching with everyone else. And I just wanted to let you chime in on it. And when Dame asked me the question on the No Hook show that we do, it was it kind of just like, like at some point, man, just be happy. Like I know, I know it's black men. It's a hard, it's a novel idea. But just be happy. You got so many people that love you and so many people that and fans that listen to everything. I mean, I don't listen to Stephen anymore, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> My father does. And him, him and his, his, his buddies do. They, they roll everything Stephen A says. It just And the one thing I will throw out, and then we can transition to the, uh, to the Darko, Radjovic, and uh, Mike, Mike, Mike Brown stuff. Stephen A was a tremendous writer. If you ever get a chance, not you, but to the listeners, to, to yeah. just kind of partake in his his sports he was a tremendous sports writer. He wasn't, like, I don't know about the editing because I wasn't in that room, but I know the content, his nuance, his timing, his reporting, understanding what the real story was, his fearlessness. It was, it was, he was great. He was great. And... There is no parallel. Now, 
He was still writing for the Enquirer up to a few years ago. He was still doing little pieces periodically. So, yeah, I mean, I I read him for years. So I understand back when I used to get a newspaper delivered. So I get it. He was one of the first writers. I I learned about the Internet through through Stephen A, to be honest with you. When I was in Clark, Clark Atlanta University, obviously you can't get the newspaper there. So Mm -hmm. I had to figure out a way on how to get the information or figure out a way to get my sports. So I'd wake up and go to the computer lab at like eight in the morning and I would read Peter Vesey's Hoop Du Jour and I would read um, uh, Stephen A's column. I would read, uh, there was a brother in Chicago, not Mike Wilbon, it was another cat, Sam Smith in the Chicago Times. I would read their articles. But anyway, nobody cares about that. We've got something going on in the NBA that I'm finding quite fascinating. The referees are being called out in a way I have not seen in, I can't even remember. The only person I can remember doing it slightly was, was Phil Jackson and not to this level. I've never seen a coach take a laptop at a post-game press game conference at a post-game press conference and show you where the referee screwed up. I've never seen players point to a monitor and say, you're wrong, like fix this. And I have never seen a coach who English is his second language go on an English rant. (laughs) (laughs) But my question is, E.T., Everett, does this work? Do you think this works at all? Short answer, no. And if you want me to give it to you from a odds maker's point of view, whether people want to believe it or not, To think that referees don't have influence over games which affect money lines, which affect Vegas outcomes would be preposterous. There are so many times where there are calls that are missed, blatant calls missed, that change the complexity of a game, that could change a four and a half line to a four. Little things that happen, and if people are naive enough to think that all the money that flows through Vegas has nothing to do with pro sports, I got a beautiful beach in Aramingo Avenue that I want to show you, okay? Listen, everything is controlled by money. The NBA doesn't get on the microphone and say real loud, hey, please fix that call. You know, we got money on the game. But they wear headsets, and they do have breaks, and they do have people in their ear all game long and booths back at the Mega Labs in, in New York, whether it's NFL or NBA, who are watching everything. They don't miss anything they don't want to miss. And so I'm saying all that to say that they call exactly what they want to call when they want to call it. And what they do, even when they know it's blatant and wrong to appease people, they'll come out with a statement later that says, oh, we recognize we missed that call. We're sorry. Won't go back and fix that game. Won't go back and change those settings. Won't go back and adjust that score. They'll fix a stat if a guy had a rebound or scored a point he wasn't supposed to or got the wrong foul, but they won't ever change the outcome of an overall game because of it. And the reason they can't is because there's too much money moving around. And so, unfortunately, it doesn't matter what these coaches say. It doesn't matter what these players say. They can scream to the top of their lungs. They can jump up and down. Until you get into an automated system of officiating, you're always going to have the human element, which is always going to be dictated by other people over the officials who are controlled by people over them who make financial money decisions for the best interest of the game. And they're going to dictate everything. And so you're never going to see what you want as a fan or even a spectator. It's interesting that you went that route with it, because I would say, yes, I think it does work. I think it works in the short term and I think it works in the long term. Believe it works in the short term because it does get you calls going through and it does put the referees on notice. They're human. 
So when you know, a lot of a lot of times referees are are and there's a there's an overtone there where referees will make a mistake and they their pride won't allow them to admit that they were wrong. A lot of a lot of instances they will poke, prod, instigate, agitate players. So when they're called out on the carpet, it's to me it definitely, especially when it's broad daylight with with the and we're going to talk about the Bucks later. But going back to that Bucks Kings game, I watched that entire game. Darren that was Fox a great was game. He was, he, he was, he, yeah, it was. And, you know, um, well, we'll talk about the game later. But, yeah, Darian Fox was getting fouled. But here's the bigger thing. Mike Brown doesn't act like that. Like, he no. very rarely loses it. And you and I sit on different sides of the pendulum with his coaching ability. But the one thing we will is he is one of the more mild-mannered coaches. He's a teacher first. Mm-hmm. So to see him respond that way should already set him. But the second thing about it is it forces – What's it? What's the phrase? The squeaky wheel. The squeaky wheel gets it, the gets, gets the, the grease. Yeah. yeah, it forces the NBA to to say, "Look, we got a problem." Because the Donahue with the gambling and all of that foolishness, you had the referee a few years ago or a long time ago that jumped on the table when uh, acting like Nick Van Exel pushed him, and he jumped on the table. And then you fast forward yeah, a few months ago, he gets caught with a DUI where he's belligerent. You know, it, it just. It makes them look bad. And then you got the Scott Foster situation where he yelled at Chris Paul's son and, and doing one. Like, yeah. So the now NBA that's a problem. Problem. That's, Which, a problem. That, that's because we found out about it. Well, how did we find out about it? Because Chris Paul went in on it. And Chris Paul finally, and he didn't, I don't think he, I don't think he told the story directly. Somebody else told it for him. But the point is, I do believe it works. I do believe it actually works because it forces you to say, yo, look, you got to address this issue because the last thing you want to do, the last thing you want to do is question the integrity of the game. And if you have a referee that's refusing to give people calls, refusing to admit that they're wrong, then they can't refer the games. It can't but be like, here's my, but here's my takeaway to that. So knowing all that you just said, understanding everything that you just said, how many times have you seen a referee who was known blatant? I mean, belligerent, intentional, with bad calls, with missed calls, stop refereeing for the rest of the season or get pulled from games for the rest of the year. Almost never. They'll just go and do a less important game. They won't do a big primetime game. That's all. It happens in baseball, happens in football, happens in hockey, happens in basketball. I'm telling you, these guys are in paid employees of their powers that be that are over them. And so all they're going to do is do whatever their bosses tell them to do, whether they Eric agree Lewis. or not. Eric Lewis. That's why I'm telling you it works. Eric Lewis. You know, Eric Lewis, let me uh, let make everybody aware of Eric Lewis. Eric Lewis was a longtime NBA official. He was one of the best NBA referees, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, had a good presence. He got caught not only gambling on games, but he got caught with a Twitter burner account where he was complaining about players, complaining about game outcomes. And he resigned. I want to say the story broke on a Monday. Nine days later, he resigned effective immediately. So... Now it does happen. And you'll see referees get demoted because just because they miss one or two calls, it's questionable about whether they miss. When we see them missing a series of calls, like the referees that missed the LeBron James three a few weeks ago, those three, I'd be shocked if they were in an NBA Finals game. Either one of them, that crew or either one, any, any of them. Because that's a call you go back and you fix. And that was a veteran crew. I'm not going to belabor the point. I definitely think, though, that the NBA is being, their hand is being forced here. 
It's like a child that refuses to take a nap. But, but instead of just sitting up there and being quiet, they're screaming, yelling, jumping out of the crib, banging on stuff. You got to go up there and address it. And you're going to have to resolve the issue somehow, some way. Maybe you bring them out of the room or maybe you, you, you stuff them down in their bed. But, it, you know, you have to address it somehow, some way. And that's because referees are going to continue to make mistakes. But you cannot, cannot throw. He had a, a referee when Jason Tatum got fouled. And he threw Tatum out of the game. And Tatum got fouled. Now, yeah, you want to see players stop whining, but he got fouled. You don't have to like the way that they they uh, complain or like the way that they get your attention, but you're supposed to be man enough to accept it and move on. The technicals come. But in my son's basketball games, they got referees calling technicals on teenagers. And I told you, I got into a referee, and I didn't get into it. Like, I didn't yell at them and curse them or anything. I walked down there to have a conversation like a man, but he was too much of a coward to even acknowledge me. Now, the brother behind me was yelling and cursing and wanted a piece of him, but I, I wasn't going to do anything to him. I believe my hands were in my pocket. But it's just, look, it's a problem with referees right now. It is on all levels. I haven't watched enough college basketball, but it's good to see the leaders in the NBA, the head coaches, going ballistic publicly, taking the fines, because while they get fined in the media, behind the scenes, the NBA is forced to do something. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk, uh, let's talk Milwaukee Bucks. Well, you know what? Yeah, we'll, talk, we'll come back. We'll talk Milwaukee Bucks. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk Milwaukee Bucks. So we'll be right back with you. I'm Parallel Sports Talk. 